0: Hello and welcome to Noon Edition. Last weekend's mass shooting at a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida has sparked a national conversation about intolerance to members of the LGBT community. Today on Noon Edition, we're talking to local experts and advocates about how the local community is responding to the tragedy. I'm Sarah Whitmire, Bob Zaltzberg is out and Barbara Brozier is joining me to co-host today. Our guests are Jonathan Baelish, he's the president and director of Spencer Pride, Kathy Wyatt, she's the president of White River Valley PFLAG. And Sarah Perfetti, she's the executive director at Bloomington Pride. You can ask questions by joining our live chat, following us on Twitter at Noon Edition, or calling into the program at 812-855-0811. So I want to just get us started here by just go through and if each of you can just tell us your reaction when you first heard of the shootings and news just started trickling in. We'll we'll go ahead and start with you,
1: Jonathan. Um, First of all, thanks for having us today. Uh, I'm really glad that uh, you chose to do this topic. It's really important and uh, certainly given the opportunity, I'm thankful for that. Um, You know, I think as with most people probably, I was um, shocked initially and then um, angry as well, and frustrated. And uh, I think just probably, you know, a mix of sad and frustrated is probably, you know, summing up the majority of my reaction. What could I do to help? Or um, how could things have been done differently? And um, just wanting to know, I guess, just that, exactly that, What, what could I do to help? Or how could I make a difference? I mean, with all the things that we do with Spencer Pride, trying to figuring out how we can maybe do something even more, step it up even more. And so I I know that was what my mind was instantly thinking was was how can we change things now and do something a little different because the community is gonna need us and also because this raises awareness of issues that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been discussed. And so how could we uh, use that opportunity to help educate further the community?
2: Sure. Kathy, go Mm ahead. Um, For me, a very extroverted person, a talker. I was so surprised that I just went silent for actually a couple of days, and uh, until we were all at the vigil. vigil, um, I had a hard time expressing much of anything. I, I was recognizing on a personal level that I suddenly felt that grip of silence and hiding and fear. <clears throat> but at the social level and as the president of white river valley p flag i felt that incredible need and the realization that parents may be triggered back into fears that they had early on as their children came out or their friends and family members or uh, new new fears that they may not have recognized yet or or addressed or felt or seen so um i've had a mix of emotions inside and and i'm doing my best to start talking about it and and sarah you helped organize the rally in bloomington
0: so how about how about you
3: yeah my initial response was a lot like uh kathy and jonathan's um i heard about it we just happened to have our annual board retreat that day so sunday 10 a.m was our board retreat And I typically, my morning routine is turning on the news, I listen to public radio, and then I make breakfast. And this day I was making my dish for the board retreat, and my wife was still sleeping. So I was tiptoeing around the house trying to be really quiet. I didn't turn on the radio. I was kind of in a hurry, so I wasn't checking the news. So I didn't know anything about it. So I got to the board retreat, and all of the the first couple board members who came were like, hey, Sarah, have you read the news this morning? Like, there was this shooting in Orlando. And I was like, no, I haven't. Like, what happened? And so one of my board members, Kyle Hayes, was saying to another board member, they both had read it or heard about it, and they were talking about how upset they were. And they were like, they kept giving updates throughout the board retreat. You know, like, at the beginning, I think, 15 dead, then it was like 20 dead. Then the numbers kept going up, and we continued with our business, and every time we had a little break, board members would check their phones, get updates, and then my initial shock was just, I was in disbelief. I mean, I really didn't react. I wasn't, my reaction wasn't crying, and it wasn't anger, it was just like kind of dead. Like, I didn't know what to do. And board member Kyle Hayes was so upset. He's like, I can't really, I feel like I can't focus on this meeting. Like, we need to do something. And we all agreed, yes, we need to do something, and we need to do something soon. Because there are people in our community who, unlike us, unlike a lot of us, might not have the community. They might not have, they might not feel like they have um, the support that I feel like I have. So we thought that a candlelight vigil would be a good thing. And we planned it for Tuesday. So we wanted to give ourselves a couple days to get everything together. And the two days after that, I mean, it was a mix of like anger and being really busy with organizing the vigil and also crying. And then this whole week has just been a really difficult week. And I think a lot of people feel that way too. So what has it been like? Because
0: all all of you are sort of leaders in the LGBT community. So how do you reconcile sort of your your personal emotions with the idea of how are we going to help people professionally? And how how did you do that, Sarah? Since you yeah. were actually in this in the moment here, where you are with your peers working on this.
3: It's tough to balance that to go up in front of a thousand people and try to be stoic and calm, mm-hmm. but also be honest with your feelings. Because why hold back how you actually exactly. feel? It's a really awful, tragic event, and all of us know that it could happen anywhere, anytime, and so it. Like, all mass shootings are extremely tragic, and this one in particular hit really close to home. And so how do we respond to that? Well, we try to give other people, everybody in the queer community, a voice for this event. And we tried to have something where we could all mourn together, but we could also um, have a message of uplifting and hope like we wanted people to leave the vigil and I hope that was something a lot of people left with was a feeling of like there are a thousand people here we're all together look to the person next to you like we're here for each other we're here for you you're not alone if you feel like that then we've also on social media provided some um therapist information and support beyond just like a vigil because a lot of people are going to need that so Mm -hmm providing people with the tools to help them.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, it's been difficult, um, you know, that first reaction and, you know, personal um, reaction with sadness and fear and anger, and then to think about others are looking to you and they want to, you know, you're an example for them and they're looking for resources and they're looking to see how you respond. And so it's important as just leaders of any organization that, you know, you give that you know, confident front. And so you've got that mix of, you know, like Kathy mentioned, you know, she felt like she went a little inward for a couple of days and I feel like I've been pretty inward all week, honestly. You know, my husband Jacob has mentioned it probably every evening and um, I just, I'm thinking so much in my brain and yet at the same time, I'm trying to extract enough um, productive mind power to also do other things. And so I know, you know, the very first day when it happened on Sunday, um, Jacob and I went to our new community center, which isn't open yet, but um, that we have the building for. And we decided to go ahead and put up a memorial display in the windows. And so um, we had that done within, you know, a few hours. And that may not be, you know, some major consequential thing in the grand scheme of things. But what we felt that in our local community, I mean, Spencer's a town of 2,500 people we want to um, stir that conversation and to make sure that we're recognizing the gravity of what happened. And our community center is right downtown next to the courthouse. It's a really well-trafficked area. So, you know, we chose to do that. And then throughout the week, of course, we wanted to um, participate in the vigil that Bloomington Pride did, which was fantastic. And so, you know, we've tried to do a variety of things throughout the week, but I just, each time, I have to kind of pull myself out of my own head and Mm -hmm. tell myself, like, this is what we just need to get done and and think about it as as a series of tasks because it is so hard to to extract that. Mm
4: -hmm. There's been so much that's been going on this past week, you know, all over the state, all over the country, people hosting vigils, fundraisers, blood drives. Mm -hmm. What do you think of the community response here on the local level and then also nationally?
2: what's encouraging me the most are the ally efforts Uh, especially since of course you know i'm trying to build a a better um, volunteer base and support base for the um, parents and friends family members of the gay and lesbian community Um, so that those efforts have been amazing to me because we know that the strength of the our loved ones come in the sport they have from the multitudes not just their family members so The more ally uh, efforts that we see, the more I'm encouraged that people will feel protected. And um, I don't know if we're ever safe. I've had several people say all of us need to be aware all of the time, wherever we are now. We've seen too many of these things happen. So it isn't just our community. It isn't just our family members. It's all around us. So we need to become community-minded more than ever and start searching out answers and solutions and better ways to support each other and have resources.
3: Yeah, I was just overwhelmed with how much how much support we had from the community. When we announced that we were planning the vigil, I mean, my email, my phone, uh-huh. Facebook messages, um, same with my board members, I mean, they could say the same thing. We were just like, I have to stop everything, and we're responding to everybody to make sure you know people don't go unheard, but people were asking, you know, could we speak at this event? And our board member, Kyle Hayes, the one who had the idea to have the vigil on Tuesday, um, was actually the one who organized all the speakers, and I think all of them actually reached out to us. I don't think he had to intentionally look for anybody when we decided that we would have it at a pretty big and public space, because we didn't know how big it would be at City Hall, Um, I think maybe the only person who may have been invited because we had it there was the deputy mayor, but everyone else, I think, reached out to us, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I'm just so happy with the community support we've had.
0: You're li- they're listening to Noon Edition, and today we are talking about the nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida, and we're speaking with members of the LGBT community. You can join the conversation, 812-855-0811.
4: There are so many different groups who um, do feel especially violated by this, um, the LGBTQ community, the Latino community, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think you mentioned just everyone mm-hmm. questioning their own safety. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that all of those different groups um, have what they need to to move forward and feel like their their voices are being heard.
3: Yeah, that's something that Bloomington Pride um, we constantly try to do a better job with and you know I'll admit we're not perfect. so we start with trying to have great representation through volunteers on the board and on our steering committees because it's hard for me as somebody who identifies as a cisgender white lesbian to say I have the same experience as a trans person of color. I could do my best and I empathize, but I don't understand what it's like to be that person. So we try to do our best in inviting those people in who represent those particularly marginalized groups to organize events. And it's really hard. I mean, the Latino community was really deeply affected by this, because most people were Mm Latino and gay. Mm-hmm. So the best thing that we could do is try to make sure that we do a good job of representing everybody by inviting those people and giving them a place to have their voice. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm wondering what you all think about, I mean, does this set us back now? Are we going to go back to a place, or maybe we're still sort of in that place where people are afraid to, to come out? me we...
1: I would like to think that um no. I mean to be a simple answer, I'd like to think no. Um, I think that it continues to raise visibility and I'd like to hope that when people see the positive and affirming response that I think the community at broad has, has brought, then I think that can serve as a positive example of, you know, if I come out then others are, are gonna be supportive of me as well. So I'd like to think that it really wouldn't impact an individual's decision to come out. I think, you know, I think it's more likely to impact our our decisions related to our feelings of of security and safeness in places. Mm -hmm. And I think that is definitely key. I mean, this occurred in, you know, a safe haven, you know, a gay nightclub and so many people uh, for a long time, that was the only place that they could be out and they could be open. And so to them, that's home and that's a, a really safe space. And I think that people who didn't, Experienced that previously, who didn't have to go to, you know, a nightclub at two in the morning in order to feel like they could be themselves. I don't think people who experience that really understand the impact of that, mm-hmm. and so that's you know, it deeply affects one's sense of, of self and security. I think it's more likely to to impact that. But I think we have to fight against that. I mean, I think we have to say that's the whole point of terrorism and hate crimes. Mm -hmm. It's to drive behaviors. And so I think we as a community have to say let's do the opposite response. Mm -hmm. So rather than Mm -hmm. go inward, let's go outward. Let's be more bold. Mm -hmm. And let's use the passion that we have. Let's take that anger and sadness and frustration Mm -hmm. and let's turn that into a different form of passion and make it into love and productivity Mm -hmm. and doing something positive for the community. And I can tell you that, um, you know, Spencer Pride has been more out and, you know, um, vocal this week than we've been in, you know, a while. And I mean, we're, all, we're a very vocal group to begin with. We just had our 10th anniversary festival a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, we, we've gotten a lot of attention, but we've especially tried this week to make sure that, you know, the airwaves don't go silent because that's not how we're going to respond. We're not going back in the closet. We're we're definitively out of the closet. We're staying there and, and we're not going to run away in fear from this. So mm-hmm. We're going to use it constructively.
2: Right, I had a little bit of a different experience since um I had just set up um through the prism group our local um lgbt youth organization that are under the bloomington pride um umbrella, and we had um developed a parent ally group engagement uh form so that there was a place for parents to come and talk, several of which now suddenly growing and growing are wanting to talk and to, understand how to um, reach their child, support their child on an educated level instead of feeling so in the dark about who they are Mm -hmm. and how they feel and how they are expressing their identity. And um, so we were fortunate to have had one set up, uh, and we actually had that uh, last night at the Unitarian Universalist Church. So that was a great thing for us. But on the flip side of that, um, the calls that I'm getting from parents who now feel more frightened, Mm. more unable to come out, more afraid that they put their child in danger if they're visible, if they're vocal. And yet we all know that it is the only way to fight. Um, fear causes us to hide and retreat, and that's never the way to address it. But I do believe nonviolent actions, mm-hmm. uh, actions getting back in the community um, and supporting other organizations, other efforts uh, toward equality, but many other things, too, just being real in the community and part of again and not hiding and retreating because it, we just get sicker and sicker if we're hiding. Um, yeah. That's not a healthy healthy approach.
3: And I agree with what both of you have said, that there are definitely productive ways to channel this anger and frustration, and there are unproductive ways to do it. Um, And I've seen, like, I I understand, I'm angry too, but the way to combat this is not... By anger and hatred, but it's getting bringing people together. It's you could do it through so many different ways, depending on what your abilities and interests are. But you could, you know, vote. That's one thing if you're over eighteen, voting for people who do make these big policy changes that have a lot of effect on you. you know, that's something people could do. Um, they could run for office. I mean, that's not in everybody's wheelhouse or you know, people aren't interested in that. Another thing is volunteering they could volunteer with organizations like, you know, the one sitting right here. There's so many things that people could do. I mean simple things too. If they're not in, interested in like organized um, kind of things, then they could also, you know, just support a friend who's having trouble with coming out. Mm-hmm. And I I am afraid that events like this do make it more difficult for people to come out. People come out at all ages and, you know, if you're fifty years old and you were thinking about coming out of the closet and this you know, tragic event happened, how is that gonna make you feel? Like you've been living for so long, not able to come out and then this happens, like that, there's even more fear. So it's the job I, I feel of us sitting here to make people feel safe and inclusive and to reach out to those people and change the culture around us too, to make it a better place for them.
1: I think that, you know, uh, one example too that comes up with that and it's a way that the allied community can help as well, and that's, you know, in schools. If we see mm-hmm. someone who's getting picked on, it doesn't have to be to the level of bullying, but the power of one person mm-hmm. saying something, you know, it's it's hard to overstate that, mm-hmm. and I think that if, if people see that and if the one different thing they can do as a result of Orlando is to speak up the next time that they see someone in a school be treated differently because of their sexual orientation or gender identity or frankly anything else in which they identify, then, then that'll have been some positive seeds that were planted and that will help to affirm and give confidence to people that it's okay to be out.
4: Mm-hmm. I was speaking to Judy from Spencer Pride earlier this week, and she said something that, that really stuck with me, and she said, this is awful, this is a tragedy, but I don't want people to think that these hatred issues haven't been there these mm-hmm. past few yeah. years. Oh, this yeah. is something it's that people new. in our community struggle with mm-hmm. every day, and I just mm-hmm. wondered what you're seeing in your communities and how you, you deal with those issues and how people can, can get help if they're struggling with that. Mm.
3: Go ahead, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, there's um, a lot of ways, depending on who you are. So our youth group does a phenomenal job. Um, as Kathy mentioned earlier, PRISM Youth Community is Bloomington Pride's youth group, and there are several different um, committees, but one in particular that's received a lot of attention and done a really phenomenal job is our Education and Training Committee. And so there are youth members, uh, queers and allies, mm-hmm. on who are youth, Um, on this committee and they've done some really great changes for educating people. And actually right now they're in Detroit presenting at a conference. Mm -hmm. So they apply to conferences where people with getting their PhDs are also applying and they present at these conferences. And I think our youth are really doing a really good job changing um, cultural attitudes about queer people and standing up like Jonathan was saying when they see something wrong. So there are ways to get involved. There are therapists if people want some more one-on-one. Our youth director, Laura Ingram, um, her background is a therapist. So she's a licensed counselor. And, you know, people, we've posted this on social media, but they could contact her, and she'll help them figure out with their insurance, like, what are the best and and their issues, who's the best counselor for them. There's also free services for counseling at the... IUGLBT Student Support Services Center. Mm.
1: And I think P-Flag is another good option as well. So I mean, if someone doesn't feel like they need to talk necessarily to a therapist, but they want to talk to other parents and just process what they're feeling, I think that's a really good form to do that. And I know that um, Kathy has information about that as well. Um, they're always having um, you know meetings to, to to talk about important things to them, and I'm sure this is heavy on their minds, as Kathy's mm. mentioned.
2: Yeah, we have a. We have already have next week uh, planned in Spencer, and this will be one of our first um, attended uh, because I'm starting to get more parents calling, and I'm hoping that they will still feel free and safe enough to come. Uh, and that's why I was hoping also on Wednesday night at our new headquarters on the courthouse square. on Is that the 46 East Market Street? 46 yep. East Market, thank you. I just live there and go buy it every day. <laughs> Don't have the numbers in my head. But we're hoping that we will have a nice batch of of warmth uh, surrounding the family members that are that are working through this issue at that time, too. Mm-hmm.
0: And today on Noon Edition, we're talking about the shootings in Orlando at a gay nightclub. And our guests today are Jonathan Baelish, Kathy Wyatt, and Sarah Perfetti. We're going to have to take a short break. But if you want to join the conversation, it's 812-855-0811. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Sarah Whitmire with co-host Barbara Brozier. And today we're talking about the mass shooting at a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida. The number 812-855-0811. You can also tweet us at Noon Edition. Let's go now to Valerie from Owen County. Valerie, go ahead.
6: I uh, grew up in Bloomington and I have lived in Owen County for, let's see, it'll be 40 years. Wow. Next, uh, <laughs> next fall. And... Uh, you know i moved out here as part of my peace and love hippie dream and back <laughs> to the land and all that and uh within a year um and i live alone and for the most part always have within a year i was getting some hostility from one of my neighbors who had a junkyard next door and mm-hmm. thought that he could do whatever he want regardless of destroying my land and anyway to make a long story short I realized I was, you know, probably a 20-minute drive from Spencer and that it was probably in my best interest to take responsibility for my own safety, Mm -hmm. at which time I applied for and got a personal protection handgun permit and have been armed ever since. And I guess my question is, after this latest incident in Orlando, has there been discussion among the gay community, which I'm not gay, but I'm... Very sympathetic to have had some of my best friends since high school have been gay people. Anyway, has there been any discussion uh, facing the reality of the situation in this country, um, which personally I don't think gun control laws are going to help, of taking responsibility for your own safety, i.e., becoming a concealed uh, personal protection um, handgun? Uh, carrier. Sure. I guess that's my question. Does the the gay community see this uh, side of the situation at all, or are they just going to continue being in my opinion what we all might be deemed as uh, sitting ducks? (laughs)
0: Okay, Okay. let's let our panel weigh in on that. Jonathan, go ahead.
1: I appreciate your call, actually. It's great to hear from someone from Owen County. So, um, you know, I think that First of all, the gay community, like every other community at large, is going to have a variety of opinions. There's not going to be a general consensus. Uh, there are many um, gun-toting gays, and many of them in Owen County. Mm-hmm. I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, um, you know, those of us who don't think that that's necessarily the right approach. I think that, um, you know, there are some facts um, that exist in the world, and um, you know, in America, there's such easy access to. Um, whether you want to call them assault weapons or weapons of war or just, you know, guns that you're not using to shoot cans. And um, I think the fact that it's so easy to access those weapons and yet we have the highest rate of mass shootings in the world, Mm -hmm. um, I think there's some correlation there. Now, maybe a researcher would argue, and I'm sure some do, but um, me personally, I think that there's some correlation there and I think that um, a little bit more difficulty in having access to weapons would be good. I don't think having, a nightclub with three hundred and fifty armed people drinking alcohol and dancing is a recipe for safety for anyone.
6: Well, can I make a quick comment? Mm-hmm. You know, there's also been, you know, very reliable research done that in areas where uh it is easier for people to carry a personal protection handgun there is in fact lower crime rates. And personally if I were gonna go to an event in Spencer, the gay pride, which unfortunately I've never gotten it together to go to, or one in Bloomington, as just a bystander, not necessarily gay, or, you know, as a member mm-hmm. of the public, I would feel a lot safer in Spencer, knowing that there were probably a lot of armed people on the streets. <laughs>
1: well, you know, as I mentioned, we, we definitely have people who, who do carry and, you know, Um, From a safety perspective, I'm sure Bloomington Pride absolutely is doing the same thing. Um, You know, we are very much in contact and in tune with the local law enforcement. So the Owen County Sheriff's Department, the town marshal, they're heavily involved in all of our activities. Everything from our setup, because we want to ensure that our volunteers are protected, to um, the actual festival itself. We have personnel cell phone numbers for all these individuals in addition to having them on site. So they have a visible presence as a deterrent and then also we have easy access to them. So we definitely, you know, when we think about also our reactions initially to, to the tragedy, honestly, you know, our event was you know, eight days before this occurred, and one of the first things that I thought of was how are we going to maybe do things a little differently in light of this? And so, yeah, yeah, I mean, like I said, there's not a general consensus, but you know, my personal belief is that um, we can do something more with um, our gun laws to make it more difficult to have access to these types of weapons. But I think that you know, our best weapon against this is education and knowledge and the more that we get um, society at large to understand that LGBTQ people are, are your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family, um, and that we're not scary and that we have the same agenda that you do to live happy, productive lives with our families, then I think that, is, that does the best thing for us if you think about just the LGBT community as a target. I think that's the best thing that we can do um, to prevent tragedies like this from happening again.
0: Okay, Valerie, thank you for the call. Um let's go next to next to Rick from Columbus. Go ahead, Rick.
5: Yeah, I was wondering if the panel would comment on if they have an opinion on if the uh, club in Orlando should reopen or not.
3: Wow. I say yes. I think they should too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really important to show to the queer community as organizers, club owners, um, queer-owned businesses to show that we're not afraid and keeping that open. And there's so much support too from the public toward Pulse in Orlando that I think there's going to be a lot of people even more aware than before. And the likelihood of it happening there again is very unlikely. So I think one thing is to not hide and be afraid but to show that we're proud and we're changing i mean the hardest thing is changing our culture and changing attitudes about queer people and that's the biggest issue and that's a lot i mean how far are we away from making everybody treat queer people as normal human beings Mm -hmm. we're probably pretty far from having everybody think that way but i think that the club should open again
1: i definitely think that they should reopen again i mean i think that when you think about, um, you know, nightclubs and and clubs like this in, in queer history have a lot of influence. I mean, you know, Stonewall, right, is yeah. a great example of that. Mm-hmm. And so we've got Stonewall, and and now you have Pulse. And unfortunately, neither one of them were things that we would have wanted to happen. But both of them are going to ultimately be turned around. And like I said, the passion for those events are going to continue to move this movement forward.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the one thing that I'm thinking of, if I were the mother of the young man in Orlando that died while she was dancing with her son because she wanted to support her gay son, if I were that mother and I were shot for standing up and supporting a child or a family member or a friend of mine, I would want them to know that I was not afraid to die. I would much more be afraid to live in a life where I had to live in fear so if I'm going to have that kind of threat over my shoulder all of my life, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go live. And I don't wouldn't want anybody to stop if something happens to me. And I've actually had to have that conversation with my family members. You know, when you do rise up in a resistant community and your friends are mm-hmm. at odds with what you believe and think and feel, uh, you know that anything can happen. We know that.
1: And, and that can happen at any time. I mean, I think, you know, if anything, um, since 9/11, I think the whole, you know, American society recognizes the challenges of balancing liberty and security together. And the fact is that I personally don't think there is a single way that you can prevent a crazy armed person who has no concept of morality from inflicting harm on people. I, I don't I just don't think it's possible. And so then I think the only real response do we have is do we choose to live our lives less openly mm-hmm. and less honestly and less mm-hmm. proudly, or do we say this isn't going to impact us and as a matter of fact we're going to do something more because of this. So I think that's the choice that we have to make. I don't think it's a matter of you know, choosing to be more secure. I don't think that's, that's really the case. You can't impact this type of um, event, to be honest with you. There's nothing that can be done.
0: Thank you, Rick, for the call. 812-855-0811 if you have a call for one of our experts. The debate now seems to be focusing quite a bit on gun control and the issue of Homeland Security. I wanna know,
2: in, in your opinion, are we focusing on, on the right thing here? kathy I, i'm still struggling with that I, you know i really need to spend more time looking at both sides of that because i understand um was a valerie that called earlier if i lived in the country alone um you know i would have a dog i would have some i would have something there that helps me feel a sense of safety and security And everybody has their choice. Personally, I would be more afraid that I'd shoot myself in the foot if if I had someone startle me because when I'm startled, I'm not at my best. And I'm pretty sure I'd be a terrible aim.
1: And I think that honestly, studies show that while maybe, maybe, and I don't know if that's correct, you know, violent crime is down in, in areas like that, accidental deaths mm-hmm. are significantly would, higher yeah, in areas yeah, where there's I, higher guns. I can see
2: that being me. And, <laughs> you know, if
1: I see one more toddler shoot another toddler, mm-hmm. I just might go crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's just so mm-hmm. frustrating the irresponsibility. And, and I know there are many, many responsible, responsible gun owners, right. and they're in my family, and I have friends mm-hmm. who are responsible gun owners, mm-hmm. but. Um, but yeah, we've got, I think that's a part of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I, I personally think that's a part of it. I I think I wish that I wish that there was more conversation about, um, about the queer community because I feel like, um, we've instantly moved over into gun control. And so then everybody lines up on their respective sides. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I thought that after Sandy Hook, that we would see something I thought certainly in such a an absolutely horrific circumstance. We would see progress in this area, and when we didn't, I got a little frustrated there. Um, I, I am hopeful and, and optimistic that it's possible that we see some improvement there, but I think that, you know, as I said before, I think the gun control element is a part of it, but if people have less hate in their hearts, if people understand one another more so, I think then that's the preventative action. It's not, um, I think gun control helps, you know, get, get it away from them to be able to easily access a weapon. But how about you take away the desire for them to want to pick up the weapon to begin with? Because honestly, you know, whether it's a gun or a shimmy made out of a bar of soap, somebody can find something if they want to injure another. And I think that Um, We have to worry about and focus on the educational part of that to to remove the desire for people to feel um, so much hatred and anger and prejudice towards any other group, whether it's Latino community, whether it's the queer community, rural community, however you define it. Um, That's what I think that we need to focus on.
4: I'm curious when it comes to perceptions and, and attitudes toward the LGBTQ community, do you think things have changed or gotten better in the past few years? Have we we moved forward at all, or are we kind of at a standstill here?
1: I think unquestionably we've moved forward.
3: Yeah, I agree. Um,
1: I mean, you know, I think that, um, you know, 15 years ago when my husband and I first got together, you know, he asked me, how long do you think it's going to be before we can get married, and I think I told him 15 years, and he laughed at me, and he was hoping it would be within our lifetime, and, and I ended up being right by one year. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think that that is a, certainly a mark in the sand. And you know, when I graduated from high school in 1999, and was trying to think about what my future options would be, um, thankfully I decided to go to IU, um, where I'm an alumni, and I'm very proud of that. Um, but One of the things I had considered was maybe going into um, one of the branches of the military, but I couldn't serve openly and I wasn't willing to do that. And so I think about that. And so just within half of my lifetime, there have been so many milestones and there need to be many more milestones in the future for workplace protections and, um, you know, for specifically a lot of transgender related issues. I think that there needs to be focus there, but absolutely there's been there's been progress, but that progress is different depending on the community, and I think Spencer Pride, you know, we live this all the time, and people think, oh, you're near Bloomington, so it must be pretty welcoming, and yes, Spencer is very welcoming, and, and you know, we wouldn't have had a rural Pride Festival for 10 years strong if we didn't have a welcoming community and a community that was willing to to um to be inclusive and to consider different thoughts and ideas but i promise you that's not because of open-minded people in bloomington that's because of open-minded people in spencer and owen county and in these rural areas and so the rural experience um, i think is even more distant and lonely sometimes for lgbt people and you know the thought of a gay straight alliance or of a community center i put an asterisk Mm -hmm. on that part right Mm -hmm. but Is just unheard of in our rural community. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I feel like part of my reaction this week was, you know, that frustration about um, that, as I mentioned earlier, that sense of security, that safe haven that was, you know, maybe lost. And I hope. I hope reopened, you know, soon. But the other part of that I have to think about is is what are what are we doing? And, you know, um, mm-hmm. when one door opens another or one door closes, right, another another one opens. And I hope that I hope that first of all pulse reopens. And I can tell you that the Spencer Bright Community Center is gonna open in September and that's yet another door. So in this case, one one door closed temporarily and is gonna reopen, and then another door down the hall is gonna open up for rural LGBT people. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's what I have to have solace in is to, to think that um, that's something that we're doing is we, we've provided a new potential safe haven for rural people um, who might be afraid and, and not sure what to do.
2: But we wanna tie those links together again um, between our communities. Uh, we don't need to have walls of divisions between communities or counties Um, gay straight churches we need that's what we those are the walls we need to take down and start thinking ourselves as a world in one big pool and uh, we hope there's nobody peeing in that pool we have little pockets of things that happen around us all the time you know last last year i had a bible thrown at me while i was volunteering at the pride booth at the fair and we've had flags cut down and mailboxes bashed and those things continue in small Mm -hmm. pockets. I I know they do in Bloomington. All, it's everywhere around us. So the more we can say we're all in this together, uh, we're gonna be collaborating with the PRISM group to come to Spencer and help us build up a youth community. At least let them see themselves in in another light, how they could be educators. And then see. Let the parents see what it looks like when children are teaching the adults about respect for one another. And uh, the more we do that, the better. That's what we're working on.
3: Yeah, and I def- I have a story similar to Jonathan's. That six years ago, when I met my wife, we made you know we talked about when do you think we'll be able to get married and my bet was the more the pessimistic side and i said not in our lifetime and she said i think in like 10 or 15 years and our bet was if i lost i owe her a baby grand piano so i still owe her a baby grand piano at some point and i'm glad i lost so to answer your question do have um pers- percept or pers- Have people's opinions about the queer community changed for the better or the worse? I definitely think much better at a very quick rate. And there's always going to be, I think, as we make progress, there's always going to be some setbacks. Things like what just happened recently in Orlando and things like what Kathy was saying about having the Bible thrown at her. We were at the Monroe County Fair and Bloomington Pride had a booth. Um, We split it with the Rainbow Rights Task Force at the UU Church and we had people young a group of young guys who different groups of young guys who were coming up and attempted to throw water balloons at our volunteers and at night they i don't know if it was them but somebody broke into the building where our booth was set up and vandalized it wrote nasty messages and drew profane pictures and you know we still are going to see stuff like that but i think Overall, the way that people perceive the queer community, it's really positive. I mean, there's so much support, really. And I think
2: what we would prefer is that when someone feels that type of animosity, that they would come and talk, talk about it. I mean, if they could learn any other action besides vandalism or violence. Yeah. Uh, or abusive words or actions, much rather just talk to these to anybody that they're in opposition to and learn about it. And learn
1: everybody, about everybody needs to be active. They can't take a passive role in this. You know, I had mm-hmm. someone come up to me a couple of weeks ago and say, oh, it must just be so much easier now that you know, the younger generation is growing up and they're so much more accepting. And yes, there are some inherent facts about um, you know, the open-mindedness of some of our younger generation. Um, but at the same time, one, um, that's certainly not just across the board the case. Uh, two, the older generations still have plenty of opportunity to influence the younger generations. And a couple of, of minor examples, but that are from my personal life that I would illustrate for this is you know when we first um, lived in town, my husband Jacob and I, before we had our son Truman, um, you know, we had a seven and a nine-year-old boy stand out in front of our house with signs that say, "I pledge allegiance to the flag." You're fags. I don't know if I can say that in the air. I apologize if I'm not supposed to. But um, you know, marching back in and forth. Legs. And you know, I pr- and it was it, what was so sad about that mm. is because you know they didn't make they the didn't signs. make those uh, you know decisions themselves. They I, didn't come up with those opinions on their right. own. They were taught those. And you know, the other example that I'll give is. Um, you know, a couple months ago, we have uh, at the end of our, our driveway, we've got a, um, a flagpole that flagpole with an American flag and a, a pride flag as well. And we're out in a rural country road and um, someone came and cut down our flags. Both of them, actually left the American flag uh, strewn on the ground and then took the pride flag with them. And um, what we later discovered was burned it at their house. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's. Again, those were, those were teens, 13 and 14 years old. One of them was um, a neighbor down the street from us. But um, the root cause of that is that the father of one of those boys paid them to do it.
3: Oh my gosh. And
1: so, you know, that is the older generation's influence yeah, too on the younger generation the role models. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think if if a positive thing can come out of that, it was that one of those boys really just did it on peer pressure and felt very apologetic and right. replaced that flag right. and came to our door with his grandmother and apologized and volunteered to work off whatever restitution, you know, working for Spencer Pride. And so, and that's good and I and I believe that was a genuine response from him. Mm-hmm. And so that gives me hope. And I think any examples that I can think of that are negative, Um, I, I can think of positive things that have come out of it, but I just I just want to illustrate though that it's there is so much influence out there from all sorts of other factors, and um, just because you were born, you know, since the millennium, that doesn't mean that there's anything inherently different about you. It's about the people that you're exposed to, your family and your friends, and so that's why we all have to speak out and step up when we see things. And if you know you're a neighbor. Um, looks like they might be in a situation similar to the ones that I've described, then be a positive role model in their life and demonstrate something different for them because um, give them some hope that it doesn't have to be the way that they've been taught it to be.
3: And I think we also need more support from the queer community, like within our own community. After same-sex marriage was legalized federally, I heard not from a ton of people, but a number of Lesbian and gay people who said, Well, now that same sex marriage is legal, I could get married. Like, we're done. The fight's over. And that's not true. <laughs> and I think now there's a lot more talk about that a year later since that did pass. But I feel like there are still people I run into who do kind of think like that. And th- this is our community. Like, we all need to stand up, people within the community, to stand up for those other people marginalized in our community. So, mm-hmm. you know, speaking of like, gender-neutral bathrooms and people of color and trans people and, you know, non-binary people and gender queer Like, there's a lot of terms that people within the queer community don't even know about. Like, a lot of people don't know what non-binary is. And I don't think that's a necessarily—you know, I'm not mad at them for that, but I think that all of us have to take— um, Advantage of using the resources we have to find out those things and I think it's everybody's duty to do that to research things and try your best when you're when you meet somebody who's trans to use the you know right pronouns and our youth group does a tremendous job teaching people that And I think so I want I would like to see more people within the queer community speaking up for those other voices
1: absolutely and again you know um, the resources people need to step up and utilize those educational resources that are available whether they're queer or not You've got Bloomington Pride, you have White River Valley P Flag, LGBT Aging and Caring Network, Prism Youth Community, which I know they're part of Bloomington Pride, but you know, they're so influential into themselves, uh, Spencer Pride. There are a lot of groups out there that can also serve as an avenue to get you information, to link you up with the right person or group or organization or or information. And so people, you know, I encourage them to to reach out actively and get that information and, and speak with someone from one of these groups.
0: We only have a couple minutes left in the program, but it seems like a lot of people have compared the black civil rights movement in the 1960s to the current gay rights movement. I'm just curious, from your perspective, is that a fair comparison?
3: I think there are certainly similarities, but I don't think it's the same thing. I think there are definitely similarities, though, and that we're a marginalized community that feels afraid to be ourselves, who feels ashamed of our identities. And we have to fight and advocate on behalf of ourselves, sometimes in somewhat of a militant way. But I think I can't say as somebody who's white that, you know, the black civil rights movement is an equal comparison to, the, to this. I think it's a civil rights movement in a slightly different way. And I think it has a lot of similarities, but I can't say it's exactly like that. No, we're still, we're still on that
2: bus. We need to continue on that bus as well. I mean, that's so true. we need to remember the black community as well. And um, anyone else that feels, any of the faith-based systems, um, we need to all be coming together.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, I honestly try not to even recognize it as a valid question almost, because I don't think there needs to be a comparison, whether it is or similar or dissimilar, I think that as a humanity, we have to look at civil rights causes. And you know, those of us at this panel focus uh, typically on, on queer causes, but um, we're passionate about a lot of different things. And so we have to learn from our brothers and sisters that have come before us whether that's the women's civil rights movement, whether that's African American, mm-hmm. um, whether that's Asian American, I mean, it would be blind for any of us as, as mm-hmm. humans to, to ignore some of our lessons from the past. And mm-hmm. so I think I don't need a, a special badge to compare are they equal or not. Um, what I think is important, and I think both honors the um, African American civil rights movement Uh, is to recognize and learn from it and to see how we can take some of the things that they learned through their hardships and struggles and fight and how we can apply them to the queer movement.
0: Okay, well, thank you all very much. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank our guests for joining us, Jonathan Baelish, Kathy Wyatt, and Sarah Perfetti. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. For our producer, Drew Doddlin, and engineer Mike Pashkash, and co-host, Barbara Brozier, thank you. I'm Sarah Whitmire. This is Noon Edition.